Hello and welcome to Nothing But The Poem. Hello and welcome everybody. This is our monthly Nothing But The Poem podcast where we reflect on the poems of the month, the poet of the month, and I will feed back to you some of the ideas and um, images and readings that we had from our shared reading session. I'll also tell you where you can go and find the poems so you can follow along as we chat through these, um, these poems. And this month, we're going to be looking at Antony Varney Capaldeo. I chose a few poems, but given the time constraints of our hour session that we had online together, we didn't manage to get through all three, so I'm only going to be able to present two poems to you today. The first poem is called To London, and this is on the Poetry Foundation website, so you can go to Poetry Foundation and find it and listen back and see if you uh, agree with some of the points that are made by our participants or if you have your own ideas as well. That's always really welcome. Uh, you can send them in or you can join as a friend uh, so that you can contribute to the Nothing But The Poem groups that we run monthly. So this poem is a longish one and it's features in Anthony Vanni Capaldeo's uh, 2016 collection, which was Measures of Expatriation. It won the Forward Prize for Poetry in 2016. And you'll hear some of Capaldeo's uh, incredible focus on language and place and memory uh, and the multilingual voices that come in. Much of their work covers these kinds of these kinds of themes. So this is the poem that reads to London. It was necessary to move and at this exit the beggar cross-legged at the fork of the tunnel calls out love a welcome of sorts. The nightlight fucks the suburb into nightmare familiarity, not like a shrammed nerd touting guided walks and histories that contract imagination for demolition work, levelling today's housing, restoring common greens, lingering at sites orphaned of their fever hospitals, by no means that hyperliterate, poor entrepreneur. It is the view the barbed wire roaring into view round and round the playground wall top. It is the warehouse, warehouse windows blank of occupation. It is lives, lives supplied in great number, fulfilment of numbers. It is the sense of something shared, the tailor scissors razoring open fishmouth stitches, the sewn up pocket of the new suit and finding something. But it is new, all new, even the gangs who graffitied chimneys, scrubbed and lovely, deleted like the railways, delete repeatedly the head, the occasionally payrolled head, the feet of the courted commuters of the vertebral week. So when we initially read this in the group, it did um, provide a little bit of kind of consternation. Um, it's not the most straightforward poems, you, can, you might say. Um, if you've got it in front of you, you'll be able to see how it's structured in kind of large stanzas with a few words on each line. But the words tend to be um, long, uh, multi-syllable, and not 
necessarily the most straightforward construction. But as we discussed the poem, we realised that this was a kind of kaleidoscopic view of London um, and this, and that the poet is addressing London. The title of the poem is To London. So there's a sense of um, outsiderness or uh, a guest or a visitor who is addressing London and perhaps kind of entering it for the first time or entering the kind of cityness of it um, for the first time. What we quickly worked out was that this is also a kind of invitation and uh, the way in which the poem unfolds, it's got this sense that the sound uh, and the repetition and the rhythm is a kind of invitation in to interpretation. So it's not that you necessarily have to get this poem or get any poem at its first reading, but to inhabit it and spend time with it. And as we spent time with this poem, we realised that this city is not necessarily the real city. It's not necessarily a London that you can easily recognise, but it's a London. It's a, a form of Londonness or cityness. One of the participants got an echo of um, kind of William Blake in the ideas of the warehouses and the warehouse windows blank of occupation and the chimneys that are graffitied, but also they mentioned T.S. Eliot as well within, um, in The Wasteland, that kind of uh, modernist trope of looking at the modern industrial city and seeing how it's working its way through, working its way out. One of the central lines that we focused on was this one in the second stanza where the poet writes, it is the sense of something shared. And we felt this was a pivotal moment in the poem where no matter your own experience of London or your own experience of any particular city, the way in which a city lives is in the shared experiences of the people who are there at that moment and in that time. The way in which this poem covers that ground, it added historical depth, but then it was also focused on the things that are new all the time. So a city is also is a strange beast in many ways. It is old and new at the same time. And we felt very much that Capodeo was trying to kind of cover and uh, represent this strange welcome, this welcome of sorts. And so as we, as we decided to work our way through uh, the poem, we often, in Nothing But The Poem sessions, I should say we read it twice. So we read it once and then we have our responses to it and people discuss what their initial thoughts are. And then we read it a second time. And that often helps us, um, helps our ideas coalesce and helps our ideas kind of um, come into focus a bit more. So I would advise that if you are um, reading any poem, um, or particularly these poems, along with the podcast, read them twice out loud to yourself. And I know that might seem a little strange, and if somebody walks in on you, um, there might be raised eyebrows. But hearing a poem aloud is very, very important. Um, so read it aloud on the bus, read it aloud on the train, or read it aloud in a private room. But either, either, either way, um, you will get much more out of it if you hear it aloud. So with this sense that the city is alive, we and alive and being constantly remade and deleted and then remade again, we were, as a collective, very confused by um, the, that final few lines and that final few images 
about the new, yeah, let's read that, that last stanza, but it is new, all new, even the gangs who graffiti chimneys, scrubbed and lovely, deleted like the railways delete repeatedly, the head, the occasionally payrolled head, the feet of the courted commuters of the vertebral week. We didn't know what that meant. Because of the way in which we discuss these things as a, as a collective, we didn't mind that we didn't know what it meant. That's important as well, not to be scared or nerve, nervous of not understanding. And I think, again, if you're thinking about how a city, entering a city or being invited into a city, we often don't know what's going on. We don't know the right way to go. We don't know where we are. Um, and sometimes when you find that in a poem, that can also be quite a fertile space. It can be a really interesting space to discuss with each other. Why do I not understand this? Or what do you understand by this? So one of the senses that we explored was this kind of rhythm. And it was much more that rather than the meaning of the words themselves, we were just immersed in the rhythm and the way in which that kind of repetition of deleted, like the railways delete repeatedly the head, the occasionally payrolled head, the feet of the courted commuters of the vertebral week. It just felt like it had that kind of rhythm of, it, of, of traffic or the train. And then this image of the occasionally payrolled head and the courted commuters, just the ways in which people are the kind of living um, elements in this machine, machinery of the city. And, the, and they are the, they make up the spine, the vertebra of, of this week, this week in the city. So there's so much to unpack in any poem uh, and in this poem that we have in front of us particularly. And as I've said, sometimes when the language doesn't make sense, it's often good to go towards the sound instead and let the sound of the words um, and the way that they're structured on the page and the way that they enter your ear let that do the work. And that leads us on to our second poem, where there is even less kind of lexical structure and kind of ways in which the, the way in which the poem looks on the page and the way in which it sounds. And in this one, you'll get a sense much more of how we need to listen to the poem as a performance in itself um, and in this one in particular an improvised performance this poem is called migraine improv and it's available on the granter website as you listen try and think of it as a performance listen to the sounds of the words and see what starts to to form in your own minds as you're listening to it migraine improv as big as you can, as small as you can, make it the same thing. Seagull on the roof, common snipe in the yard, 24-7 bird sound. Wet feather, white flutter, flood water. Volcano blackout, volcano privilege, volcano print. Distant volcano, extinct volcano, volcano voile. Paper recycling, fly away Peter, fly away Paul. Suffer, sulphur, souffle, snowflakes, syringes, bananas, oranges, statisticians, foragers, mask, no mask, nose, mask, mask, ventilator, ventilation, dense lesbian trees, 
marriageable parasol geraniums, abandoned lighthouse. Dense lesbian trees, people fall on their faces, things are looking up. Dense lesbian trees, sweet singing in the choir, sweet singing in the choir. So I do wonder what you made of that as you heard that one, Migraine Improv. For the group, it was very much that the title enabled us a way into the poem. This sense that if it's a, people could could relate to this, um, the idea that the migraine and the experience of a migraine really messes with your sense of self and uh, sense of what's going on in the world. And this, as I say, this title kind of gave us a key um, to unlock a little bit of what's going on. The poem feels as though it is a sequence of images that come to mind when one's suffering a migraine, but I'm also interested in the ways in which the poet, the ways in which Capaldeo also focuses on kind of misheard or mispronounced words in their in their work and with the the images that just don't seem to make logical sense but do make kind of aural sense so they make sense in your ear i particularly liked suffer sulfur souffle uh, and we centered on that stanza for a wee while because it felt very much that this was the kind of logic at work in the migraine and in the improvised poem that comes to mind during a migraine. There's also a lot of satire in there and there's a lot of humour in there. And we discussed how difficult it is to be humorous in the middle of the storm of a migraine in these volcanoes, the volcano blackout, the volcano privilege, the volcano print, that real physical seismic sense of the migraine at, at work. But that spark of humour and, and satire was definitely in there as the poet tries to make sense of this. And the image of people falling on their faces, things are looking up, felt like a real comedy moment to try and lighten the overall tone of the poem. The way the poem looks on the page is it's split into um, stanzas of three lines each. And on the lines, there's only a few um, words so there's quite a lot of space in, in the poem, as well as the necessary kind of um, pain, I suppose, of the migraine. But it does allow for this melange of images that just kind of tumble, improvised from the, from the poet's pen. And when we try to make sense of it, it really, really feels like example of making sense more generally. What does it mean to have this, this sequence of images and sequence of descriptive ideas? Things like dense lesbian trees, marriageable parasol geraniums, abandoned lighthouse. That asks us to make sense because it's in a poem. And then if, we're, if we are then asked by somebody else to make sense of this, it really forces the mind into, into a different space, into a different way of of thinking how do these things connect they clearly have connections because and we assume they have connections because they're written down and in a poem but because of that we have to do the work and that's where the fun bit comes in and that's where the the interpretations and the um and the experience of actually interpreting together works really well the final bit that we were focused on was that final two lines sweet singing in the choir 
sweet singing in the choir. And it was obviously a key point for the poet as well with the repetition there. And that's what made us feel that this poem was supposed to be read aloud. It's oral, its sense is in its sound and the interconnections of how words work together. And it was a nice way of exiting, hopefully exiting that migraine by sweet singing in the choir, sweet singing in the choir. So that's a lot to take on and we did cover a lot of ground. So I would recommend going to find the poems um, so that you can have a look at them yourselves and see if any of the ideas that we came up with resonate with you and have a go at looking at To London and Migraine Improv by Anthony Vani Capaldeo and read them aloud. I definitely recommend that. Read them aloud and read them together. And hopefully those sparks of improvisation um, in interpretation will come through for you as well. So thanks very much for listening. I hope some of this made some sense for you. And I hope that you will come along and hear our next Nothing But The Poem. Thank you very much.